0: Welcome to the Birmingham Vineyard podcast. We hope you find it insightful and encouraging. If you want to find out more about us, why not check out our website, birminghamvineyard.com. It's great to be here this morning. Um, For those of you who need a copy of my sermon, it's at the back. You can grab a copy and you can read along uh, with us. Uh, So, yeah, great. We're here. We're going to be continuing our series in the book of 1 Thessalonians. And this morning, I wanted to start by asking you, A couple of questions for you to ponder this morning. What is your greatest hope for today? Maybe it's just to get through the day. Maybe it's the roast doesn't burn at lunchtime. What's your greatest hope for this week coming up? What's your greatest hope for the month of October and for the rest of the year 2022? And if you could choose just one hope for your life, what would it be? Maybe it's someone... That you know that needs to be healed. Maybe it's for yourself to be healed. Maybe it's for that broken relationship that's been uh, in the same stagnant place for years, and your hope is that one day that would be restored. Maybe for those of you that have got kids, it's that your hope is that your kids become followers of Jesus and live out their God given dreams and uh, abilities for their lives. For me, most recently, uh, we've just gone through uh, a pregnancy, uh, a second pregnancy with our second child. And uh, to be honest, the pregnancy was a really difficult one all the way through, particularly for my wife. And um, no, yeah, I know, I know, I know, I know. Just, that wasn't worded very well. Uh, uh, she was in hospital, let's just put it that way. Anyway, I hoped that, uh, I, my hope during the whole pregnancy was just that we'd get to meet daughter. My hope was that uh, she and Amy would be healed of the stuff that was going on for protection and for a safe arrival and ultimately I, I was looking to God for this hope and two weeks ago we welcomed Esme Hope into the world which is great. So I'm going to keep walking because if I stand still for too long, I may just fall asleep. So if I do that, I've already prompted James to come up and just read my sermon for me. Anyway, sometimes we hope for things, don't we, that we never see come to fruition. What do we do in those circumstances? Is it that we've got some kind of false hope? Is it that our hope is anchored in something that is uh, that's changeable and isn't secure? Maybe we had hoped for X to happen, and it never did. The disappointment that you might feel right now. The questions that you might have. What happens to us when this hope isn't fulfilled? Do we just walk away and accept it, or do we press in and trust? And as I said today, we're going to be continuing our series in in the book of 1 Thessalonians. So if you've got a Bible, I'd love you to turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, And we're going to be focusing in this morning on verses 13 to 18. Now, this passage where you all turn there is focused all around hope, surprisingly, and the promise of the hope to come. Namely, the hope of what Jesus did for us on the cross and in the resurrection. And as we go through today, I want to look at three things from this passage. Firstly, the hope we can trust. Secondly, the hope that we can receive or we will receive. And thirdly, the hope we should share. So let's read the passage this morning, again, starting in verse 13. Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uh, uninformed about those who sleep in death, so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's word, we tell you, encourage one another with these words. So this is a guy called Paul, writing to his friends in a city called Thessalonica. And in this part of the letter, he's trying to address some mistruths that are happening within the church to help them to understand what will happen to them and the people that have already died who are following Jesus. Because there seems to be a lot of confusion and disinformation uh, within this community. And even today, people still have questions, don't they, about death, thoughts and attitudes about what happens when we die. Some people believe in a reincarnation. Others have had experience of dying. Others will say that they've met with Jesus or have seen other believers again in heaven. And Justin Welby spoke at the Queen's funeral about one day, each person that believes in Jesus will meet each other again the hope we have in Christ is that one day we will be with the Lord and everyone else who believes in Jesus as their Lord and Savior will be there together and Paul starts uh, this by address, addressing their concerns he wants his fellow Christians to not uh, be uninformed about what has happened to the people who have already passed away or asleep in death to help them not to have the same viewpoints As the world would have, because it's clear that they are struggling with some dubious teaching, rumours, and fears about the death and resurrection. So, firstly, let's look at the hope we can trust. Just a few weeks ago, we saw uh, the massive outpouring, didn't we, of grief uh, about the Queen passing away. And over the course of those 10 days of mourning, and during the service of thanksgiving for her life, we heard a lot about the Queen and her unswerving faith in Jesus. Her faith was the most important element of her life. Her life was one of service, but ultimately one of service to her King, King Jesus. In fact, the Archbishop of Canterbury was quoted saying that in one conversation with the Queen, she said to him, I wish the Lord would return in my lifetime." When Justin Welby asked why, she replied, because I'd love to lay down my crown at his feet. The Queen knew what it meant to make King Jesus the Lord of her life. And as we already understand, in this situation in Thessalonica, it it was one of confusion, dubious teachings about death and resurrection and what will happen to those that have passed away and what will happen to those when Jesus comes back that are still alive. But before we get into that, I want to say to those of you in the room and those of you online watching that this whole area of death is a painful one. We need to recognise that today. Some of us have lost loved ones recently or maybe even not so recently. Maybe some of us have got loved ones that are seriously ill right now. And no matter where we are in our walk with Jesus, no matter the strength of our faith, the loss of someone can cause a profound emotional shock. The pain of grief and bereavement is a real one and at no point today do I want you to feel like what you feel doesn't matter or to deny your feelings, far from it. But today I want to bring you a message of hope, a hope that you can take comfort in, a hope that will change the world's uh, confusion and answer that ultimate question about what happens when we die. Paul starts by stating to the believers that he's writing to that um, to not be misinformed and, that, uh, and not just to, about this topic, but other topics as well. Don't be misinformed about those who are sleeping in death. Don't grieve like the rest of the world does who don't have hope. He reassures them with the gospel truth and reminds them that we believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that because of this, God will bring with Jesus all those who have passed away when he returns. Death for many in the world is an unknown thing. Maybe for you today, you have a lot of questions about death. What happens next? Does anything happen or is this it? Where do we go? Who will we see? Uh, we're running, running a Youth Alpha uh, course here at the moment in youth. And uh, a few weeks ago, one of the young people asked this question. Why can't we just go and look around heaven now and see what it's like? A bit of a try before you buy, if you like. <laughs> and, uh, and, but maybe you've got that kind of question as well. I'd love to see what it's like before I kind of make that yes. The believers in Thessalonica were obviously asking these kind of similar questions too. Some of the believers had already died and and those that were left behind were confused about what is going to happen to them and those that have passed away. How is this all going to work? Maybe they thought they were going to miss out on the party or the full blessing of the second coming of Christ. Mourning, as I said earlier, is a natural thing. It would be weird not to mourn somebody who's died that's close to us. And at some point in our lives, all of us, will mourn. We see in Scripture where Jesus himself wept at the grief when he saw the grief of Mary and Martha and the death of Lazarus. And personally, I've been to quite a number of funerals with for friends, relatives, and people that I know. And for those who follow Jesus in their life, there is a distinct difference in the service. It is a Thanksgiving service, and it is a service where Memories of the person are shared, but there's more to it than that. There is both a grief for the loss of the person, but there is a joy and a celebration that they are now with their Lord Jesus. The hope expressed in these services is palpable. I've had many conversations with people who have said something along the lines of, I've never been to this kind of funeral before. The reason is the hope of Christ we are to grieve, but not with a hopeless grief like the world does. Hope, the joyful and confident expectation of eternal life through Jesus Christ. And this hope is for all people. It's for each of you today. If you don't know Jesus, let me tell you that he died on the cross to defeat sin for you. He, he was raised from the dead to defeat death for you. So that when you choose to follow him, you can have this hope that your sin is forgiven and that one day you will be with him in glory because he's defeated the sting of death. So that we can confidently say, like it says in 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty-five, "O oh death, where is your victory? O oh death, where is your sting? Because this sting of separation we feel will end. And this sting of death, uh, the sting of death, uh, victory will end. We can trust that because of what Jesus did on the cross and in the resurrection. We too can have this forgiveness of sins and the promise of the hope to come. If God did not abandon Jesus in his death, he will not abandon Christians who have died or you who are still alive, hopefully in the service. If we die before Jesus comes back, we go with the hope of what is to come. This is the hope that literally billions of people have died with. People like Paul and all the other disciples and apostles, right through to the Queen just a few weeks ago. They were assured of where they were going. So where is your hope? What are you putting your hope in? Are you trusting in Jesus's promise? Secondly, the hope we will receive. Receiving comes in all sorts of ways, isn't it? Sometimes we receive something that's really nice, like uh, a bunch of flowers, a card. We recently, over the last couple of weeks, have received lots of meals, which have been an absolute blessing. Maybe a sleep-in. My wife would probably say, yeah, she'd accept that. That would be something that she'd really like right now. But there are also some things that aren't great to receive, right? Bad news, bad news a bill through the post or a questionable cookie made by one of your kids. Like, <laughs> Sometimes, however, we receive something and then look at what others have and are disappointed with what we have. I remember growing up, my sister was always complaining that my, myself and my brother had one more chocolate button or a little bit more ice cream or we used to joke that we'd got one more bubble in our Coke than my sister had got and she'd complain about it. And as we read verses 15 to 17 in this passage, we see Paul unpacking some of the questions that the Thessalonians were asking or wrestling with. And there's quite a few things here that we need to kind of uh, be aware of as we read these verses to fully understand what Paul is trying to get at here. Because there's some mistruths and some kind of weird thinking around this whole area. Firstly, some of the language that Paul uses here is metaphorical and not literal. As we read scripture, we need to be mindful of this in all circumstances. Some of the stuff that we read is symbolism here. And to be honest, it's a bit strange to us in the 21st century. So hopefully what I'm about to say will kind of help you understand this a little bit more. Paul doesn't go into much detail here about where the dead are or what their state is. or But it is enough to know that they're in God's care and that when Jesus appears again, they're going to be there too. Secondly, there will be no advantage for those who are alive when Jesus comes back. So there's no, there's no kind of difference. Thirdly, we who are alive will not be snatched up into the air to remain there forever. It's important to realise that the resurrection isn't about living in some kind of mid-air utopia, but about the re-embodiment of God's people to live with God uh, in the new redeemed world that God will make When Paul speaks of Jesus descending, he doesn't mean Jesus is in the sky somewhere, but that he's in heaven. And this isn't just some kind of some other location, but another dimension, which is quite hard for, for me anyway to get my head around. When Paul speaks of Christians being snatched up among the clouds, again, this isn't a literal event, but more picturing the people of God being vindicated by God which was probably a comfort for those in Thessalonica because they were probably going through some pretty heavy persecution at the time. This is a sign of God's glory, comfort, and presence. And we see here also uh, several bits of Old Testament imagery uh, and apocalyptic symbols. For example, the three, uh, what what some people will say, the three audibles, which is the cry, the voice of the archangel, and the trumpet. So the, the cry may refer back to when Paul heard The heavenly voice on his road to Damascus leading to his conversion. That his companions heard this kind of voice, a cry, but they didn't actually hear, the, uh, they they couldn't hear articulate words like Paul did. Secondly, the voice of the archangel. This doesn't mean that Jesus is going to come back as an archangel, but that he will be accompanied by the company of the prominent angels. And maybe the voice will be a great voice, like an archangel type of voice. And thirdly, the trumpet. In the Old Testament, trumpets sounded the alarm for war and threw the enemy into a panic in the sense of the seven trumpets described in Numbers 10 and Revelation 8 and 9. Trumpets also sounded an assembly of God's people, as in Leviticus 23 and Numbers 10. The trumpet here is to gather God's people together. Tom Wright, a theologian, says this about this passage. Paul's description of Jesus' reappearance in 1 Thessalonians 4 is a brightly colored version of what he says in two other passages Passages in 1 Corinthians 15, 51 to 54, and Philippians 3, 20 to 21. As Jesus coming or appearing, those who are still alive will be changed or transformed so that their mortal bodies will come, become incorruptible and deathless. This is all that Paul intends to say in Thessalonians, but here he borrows imagery from biblical and political sources to enhance this message. And then he goes on to say, little did he know, little did, would Paul have known how his metaphors would be misunderstood two millennia later. This whole part of this message is to be a comfort for those who are in Christ, to understand that there is no advantage of being alive or dead when Jesus returns, that we're not in competition with each other, but that this hope is the same for each of us that are following Jesus. His words are to bring us comfort, that we can be confident in God's future purposes for the followers of Jesus who have died, but also for us. An acknowledgement that there will be grief, but there is also a great hope. A hope that one day God will put everything right, so there will be no sickness, no sadness, no sin, no death. That those who have died and those at are alive will be reunited with new bodies to serve God joyfully in the new creation. John Stott, a theologian and pastor, encourages us to be aware of what we read in this and other passages when he says this. <clears throat> that we are not to elaborate Paul's instruction with fanciful speculations of our own or stretch the text beyond what Paul intended to say. For example, there is nothing in here about the resurrection body, the judgment day, the new heaven and the new earth. But there is a case, of course, of adding to what Paul has already said in other parts of the New Testament and joining it together. Our focus here is is to be on the hope that is being preached by Paul. The truth that everyone who is in Christ will be raised and everyone will celebrate together and ultimately, we will all be with the Lord forever. Thirdly, the hope that we should share. Now, good news is something that people love to share, right? When, when, like, when you have a baby, you want to share that news with people. When you, when you have a lunch, you want to share that with people, right? Uh, so we love celebrating and hearing good news stories, just like we just did when Gavin shared about the stuff with city pastors. And these stories are to bring us comfort and uh, a hope. And in verse 18, Paul says, therefore, encourage one another with these words. Because of all these previous encouragements that we've just read about and, and spoke about, the hope that we can believe in and trust in and the hope that we will receive, Paul says, therefore, encourage each other with these words. Obviously, Paul is speaking to the believers in Thessalonica who are under extreme persecution So the question of what happens uh, after death was a pressing one. Is this stuff about Jesus really worth dying for and being persecuted for? And the same could be said for us. Is this hope that we have in Christ really worth being persecuted for? If it came to it, is it worth dying for? Because for many of our brothers and sisters around the world who believe in Jesus as their Lord and Saviour, this is their daily reality. And actually, this should make us think seriously about our faith and what Jesus has promised. And it's a great reminder for each of us to to think about, learn about, and discuss the end times. But let's not be misplaced or improper with our thoughts, and let's not stretch what we think to what the text says. It's important to know the truth of what will happen and be certain Of the hope that we have to come. Rich Nathan, a vineyard pastor in the US, says this The second coming of Christ was not a a peripheral or secondary message for the writers of the New Testament or for Jesus himself. Many, many of Jesus' parables are about the second coming. Jesus constantly taught that he would come again. Whole chapters in the Gospels have been devoted to the return of Christ. And many New Testament books, such as 1 and 2 Thessalonians and 1 Peter, have Christ come in as their central themes. We need to recognise what the future past this life is going to look like. Because it's good news. And uh, when we hear good news, we want to pass this good news on. Or at least we should. But I know full well that passing on the good news of Jesus can be a tricky subject. Maybe we don't feel confident enough in our own understanding Maybe our friends, our family, our work colleagues have got um, serious questions that we're like, I don't want to say anything to them because I literally have no answer for what they're, what they're going to ask me back. And I get that, but I want to encourage you that there are loads of resources out there that can help you to do that. Because we need to be bold in our witness to both our brothers and sisters in Christ and be encouraging to them when they're going through the midst of grief but also to our friends and our family and our colleagues who don't share the same hope that we do. And it's often at the most difficult times that we have the opportunity to share the hope that we live by. So what is it that brings us comfort? What is it it that helps you through the most challenging of times in your life? What is it that helps you when you face up to death? It's the hope of Christ in us the hope of glory. And let's be bringers of that hope, unlike the friends of Job. The story of Job, this guy in the Bible who loses everything, his family, his livelihood and his friends, all the things that most of us would lead to us crumbling under. He needed comfort in his grief. Enter his three friends who initially do an okay job because they don't say anything. They just listen. Listen. But then they open their mouths, and Job's condition becomes worse because of his friends. According to Stott, they are drowned poor Job in a torrent of cold, conventional, false nonsense to the effect that he was being punished for his sins, until in the end, God comes in and contradicted them and brought his hope. Friends, let's not focus on our 10-year plan for our lives let's focus on the hope that we can share today, that we can bring to people. Let our hearts ache for the Lord, for the fulfillment of his promises, for the return of Jesus and the end to all the injustice and the suffering and all the inequality that we see around us. And as we move into a time of response, what is it that God's saying to you this morning? Where may he be calling you to bring hope? because we want to see God's kingdom come. We want to see his will be done and his hope fill us afresh today so that we can take this hope into the spaces and places around us. And our prayer, or my prayer for us this morning, is that God would give us the boldness to do that. So if you're able, why don't you stand with me as we move into a time of response. We hope you enjoyed the talk and found it helpful. Why not come along and visit us? We gather